Waves, the whole crew, Kingfisher Project, will be back this time next week. They'll be on their regular time, 7 p.m. next Monday. So tune in again for that. Right now we're returning to our regularly our regular schedule, regularly scheduled programs like TUC Radio coming up in a half an hour. And before that, we got Trailer Talk with Sabrina Artel. Just want to let you know quick, the weather is uh, dark and wet outside right now. Rain tonight, overnight low, 41. Warm tomorrow and wet. Rain showers with a high of 51. Overnight low tomorrow night, 21. And some snow will be mixing in with the rain, turning over to snow. Chance of snow showers on Wednesday with a high 31. Time now for uh, our whole Monday night lineup, starting with the trailer talk. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline travel trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. The 50th anniversary of Woodstock is coming to a conclusion in Sullivan County, New York. The last few days I've spoken to people about why they came to Sullivan County or why they were marking this 50th anniversary, what the significance is of that watershed moment in our history and looking at its connection to the present. I'll be sharing these conversations with you in the coming weeks. And for now, I've reached into the cupboards of the Beeline and I'm sharing an episode on farming. After all, the Woodstock Festival in 1969 happened on Maxie Asger's dairy farm. I love going to my farmer's market. I think about it during the winter. I think of all of that produce and talking to the farmers and picking out the foods for my meals and how valuable that is. Hello, how are you? Welcome. Speaking of dairy farms, we have a dairy farmer here, don't we? (laughs) Hello, Mary. I'm so glad that you were able to join me. Well, where are you located? Our farm is in, uh, well, it's sandwiched between Jeffersonville and Calhoun, New York, in Sullivan County. Um, It's a second generation farm, so it's on the small side, and we chose to keep it on the small side rather than go to like a big uh, freestyle operation. Just the way our land is set up. It just manages a smaller herd better, you know, without kind of pushing the land too much. 
so our cows are grazed outside, um, they all fit in the barn, and then we set up our milking system or our cheese operation, where as the cows are milked, the milk goes directly into our cheese house, and then we set it right away. So the milk never has to be stored at any point or shipped or moved around, which, which helps for the physical composition of the milk when you're making cheese. And that allows for you then to have raw milk cheeses? Is um, the, the, raw, the raw milk designation comes from, if you do not pasteurize your milk before you make the hard cheese, it's considered a raw milk cheese. Um, you're required to keep it for 60 days, aged at least 60 days, that's the minimum. Okay. Um, and you have cheeses and yogurt. And we make yogurt, we make mozzarella, uh, we make fromage blanc. It's really delicious and it's something people don't know about. It's a real simple. And then you can take it and either use it with fruit, go with a little bit on the sweet side, or you can just use it as a spread on bread. Or It's, it's just a great, basic, you know, simple, delicious <laughs> food item that, that people sort of overlook. Okay. Um, that's a good one. And um, buttermilk. We have buttermilk. And... For people that love buttermilk, this is great buttermilk because it's whole milk, um, it's cultured, it's bottled right away. It's, mm -hmm. you know, people always ask us in New York, is it fresh? And um, it, <laughs> yes, it was only, it was just milk two days ago. <laughs> I mean, it just arrived on the face of the earth, you know. Just, just came out of the cow. <laughs> so you were saying you're a second generation farmer then right. here in the county. Right. So w what size then? You were saying you keep everything very manageable. What does that mean? How many um, cows do you have? How much land do you we, have to have then? We keep a milking herd of about 50. We raise our own replacements, which means there's no new animals introduced. We sort of know the genetics of what we have. Cows stick around for a long time. You know, I think Fifi was 16 before she finally left, gray hair and all. Fifi? Uh, <laughs> what kind of cow was Fifi? We have only Holsteins. <laughs> So, so we still do we still do milk production and and our milk goes out and gets bottled and shipped with you know with a regular shipper. Okay. Um, but we would prefer, and it seems to be better for everybody, that um, that we've gone ahead and processed our own milk, and then you make it available really quickly, and it's really fresh and it, like I say, it hasn't been moved around, it hasn't been altered, you know, it hasn't been separated, it hasn't been mechanically handled. So it's just a very fresh product and, and really, you know, it's really nutritious and yeah. it, uh, it lets people get fresh stuff really fast. Thank you, Mary. I am at Eminence Road Farm Winery, which is located in Long Eddy, New York. Hello, what's your name? My name is Jennifer Clark. We're up in Long Eddy uh, in the southern tip of Delaware County. We can see Sullivan County from our front porch. So how far is that from here, Liberty, New York? We're about 45 minutes northwest of here. And how long have you lived there? Uh, we uh, have been there for about eight years and full-time for about two and a half years now. And where did you move there from? We were in central New Jersey and working in the city. So what led you to have a winery? What kinds of wine do you produce? I'm looking at some different bottles here. I've tried your apple wine, which is really delicious, and uh, served that with the picnic. Oh, wonderful. Well... We um, have just bottled this past Sunday uh, Cabernet Franc, the first red wine of the season. That is tasting really, really delicious. It's a more medium-bodied uh, food wine with some nice kind of raspberry fruit flavors. Um, we started this year with a Chardonnay that was uh, really dry, crisp, and sold out in about two and a half weeks. So <laughs> we had to wait until we had the next wine, which was the apple. And as I said, Cabernet Franc is our first red wine. And then still in tanks are a Cabernet Sauvignon and a Gewürztraminer. 
what led you to having a winery? Where do the grapes come from? What's the process like? And also, what kinds of apples do you use for your apple wine? Okay, well, we decided to open a winery because we love the area so much. And we specifically love the farmer's market and the whole atmosphere here. And we felt that uh, good food wines were missing from this area. And so we had enough of working in the city and decided this is how we were going to support ourselves up here. And so while we have about 300 vines planted where we are, we're not using the grapes from our property yet. Um, it's very hard in this area with late frost in the spring and early summer. But the grapes come from the Finger Lakes. Um, we work with some growers on the east side of Lake Seneca. And the apples actually come from um, Tom Maynard's farm over in the Hudson Valley. And we use a basic cider blend, which is um, Empire, Macintosh, and Golden Delicious. And what is the process like then from the collecting of the apples and the grapes to me enjoying a glass <laughs> of your wine? Well, we do it simply and naturally as possible. So uh, when, with the apples, we will actually start with the fresh pressed apple cider and bring that back. With the grapes, we actually have the grapes and we bring them back and, and crush them with our feet. <laughs> Very manual and natural. And uh, with the whites, they're pressed pretty much right away. The reds, we let sit on the skins uh, for a couple of weeks. We keep an eye on that. Then they go into stainless steel tanks to ferment, and we don't add anything. We don't add any yeast or enzymes or sugars or are manipulated in any way, except just to keep an eye on it, taste it, uh, rack it off the lees when needed. Um, the lees are the kind of broken down yeast that will settle out of the wine. And we just keep tasting it until it's ready to bottle. And then once we are ready to bottle, we don't uh, filter it or fine it. So there may be a little bit of sediment in some of the bottles, but we find that filtering tends to take out a lot of the great flavors in the wine. So, of course, I'm curious if you have pressing parties where people can help with that activity of pressing with a feed. I'm thinking of I Love Lucy and that incredible episode. Yes. It's a little bit like that. Um, this year we are doubling production um, since it has uh, seemed to work out. We will may need some help this year. We'll see how it goes, but it's, um, it's a little bit tricky because it's all depending on when the grapes are ripe and we get maybe a day or two notice before we have to go up and pick up the grapes. So if we're lucky, we have some friends around who can come over and help. <laughs> well, count me in. That sounds like a lot of fun. How many markets are you at? Uh, we've done a few different markets this year. Um, we have been here at Liberty as well as uh, Calicoon. And we did a couple of markets in Jeffersonville and Conneonga Lake. We're also in Berryville on Saturdays. So we've been all over. Thank you so much. Thank you. I see some blueberries and tomatoes. Have a seat. Hello. Hi. What's your name? Uh, Matt. Matt? Uh, remember you didn't pay for that stuff yet, Matt. Oh, that's right. I owe Seth money for these tomatoes. I get to eat all the blueberries now. Would Are you, you going like, to share? Would you like a blueberry? <laughs> yes. They don't, you'd never, they're good for about three miles. Because if you, if you have to go farther than three miles, you'll never get home with the full thing of blueberries. Because they're too delicious and you can't keep your hands out of they're them? Too they're, they're too good. They're too good to let go of. They are delicious. Matt, what's your full name? Uh, Haranic, Matthew Haranic. 
Do you live in Sullivan County? I have a weekend we have, place in we Sullivan have County. Max, Max White right here. Slide over, man. No, no, I'm going to get the wall. Slide over. I have to give my wife money to support these guys. Hold on. Don't forget to pay Seth. So Seth is one of the farmers who stand is right outside the door of my trailer here and you brought some blueberries in and I see tomatoes We're in your tomatoes bag and we've just begun so I have a lot more to do but Seth's always the first stop particularly if he has blueberries because then I get to eat them all. I guess you didn't expect that you'd be sharing them with me today. Well that's okay he's at least got a few more pints and I could buy one more so I'm happy to share with you. So I asked you if you're from here and you were starting to respond. I have a weekend place in Miles's, which is just over the hill as the crow flies, and I grew up uh, in upstate New York, And but I live in Brooklyn now. Okay. And what brings you here then from Miles's? Uh, well, we, in the summer, try to come up on a Friday to stay till a Monday, so we sort of stock up on a Friday, come to the farmer's market, get whatever we need for the weekend, and then if we blow through all of that on by Sunday morning, we see all these guys again Sunday in Calicoon. Exactly, right. There many of the same farmers, vendors are in Calicoon on Sundays, and uh, it's great that way uh, because sometimes, you know, it's hard to resist the delicious fruit and not to eat it really quickly and the beautiful greens and the fresh ears of corn and all those things. So often in the summertime, they do go quite fast. It goes really fast. And like I said, the blueberries go really, really fast. So living in Miles, do you then end up coming down this way at all other than the farmer's market? You know, Liberty seems to be more of a place we pass through than we stop except for the farmer's market. I mean, I think half the half the reason is that when we get off at Liberty coming up from Brooklyn, all we can think about is getting up to the house. So you really sort of put the pedal to the metal. Actually, I've been ticketed more often through Liberty than any other place trying to get there as, as quickly as possible. And that's funny because the only two tickets I've received, speeding tickets I've received in my life have been in Liberty. Yeah, I am, I'm, I think I'm in the same boat. <laughs> 55 and a 35 just as you leave town. Watch out for that sign right by the church. Oh, that's that's so funny. So do you try to eat locally grown foods and fresh foods and possibly organic foods as well? We try to eat as much local and to buy as much local and to be a part of the production. Um, like we've been raising some pigs with with some neighbors up here in Miles is sort of starting a little pig co-op and trying to keep everything as local and as central as possible. Um, and when we can't, we're buying organic whenever we can or naturally raised meats whenever we can. And for us, it's not so important that we're buying organic here as much as we're buying uh, from local farmers. From local. What would you say then your relationship is to coming up here to the country? You live in Milesis. You come to the Liberty Farmers Market each Friday on your way from the city to your house upstate. What kind of role does it serve in your life to have this place to get away to up here? Well, it's, first of all, it, it grounds us. Um, it, re it brings me back to a place where I was growing up. Uh, you know, I grew up only an hour from where my house is now. And now that I have a three-year-old daughter, I think that relationship is really good to have, particularly when she's being raised in a, a much more aggressive urban environment than I was ever raised. So to have that balance for her and to get for, for us to get back to where we sort of came from is, uh, I think, a very important very important and a priority to us. And would you ever think of, do you think, moving up here full time? You know, or we talk not? about it every week. Every weekend we're up here, we talk about it. Um, I think there's some realities 
that are keeping us from it. But who knows? That may change. And are those career? It's yeah. It's definitely realities it's definitely and career kind of reality. economic. Absolutely. Would I love to grow blueberries and raise pigs and maintain the lifestyle that I have? Yeah, I would love that. I don't think I have the endurance for it. I think it takes a very. I think these guys are really special, and I think they're. You know, I don't. I don't think I have that in me right now. You mm-hmm. know, so. It is a lot of work it's a lot for of work. not a lot of money and often debt. and One little blip on the uh, environmental scale and there goes, you know, a good part of your profit. Yeah, it's a, that's why we're here to support them as much as we can. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming into Trailer Talk and for bringing blueberries with you. You want a, another handful before I leave? Yes, thank right, you. Right. See you later. Thank you so much. Thank you, Seth. I'm Carly Arnold. What is your interest, Carly, in sustainable agriculture and organic produce? And why are you an intern at this Butternut Valley Organic Farm? Um, Well, I grew up on an organic dairy. And uh, actually, we went organic in 98. And, you know, before that, I was definitely a Campbell's Soup and Kellogg baby. And, you know, as we started treating our cows differently, you know, we started eating differently ourselves. And, you know, we got into this circle where we just, you know, learned more and more about what was actually happening to our food. And I think because I eat, you know, that's why I'm here. Um, I really care about what happens. And um, also just, you know, health issues, like, within my immediate community, all the people that are getting cancer who have actually, you know, worked on conventional farms. And I just feel like that correlation is too bold for me to ignore. And is that because of the pesticides used? You, you know, that's my gut feeling. That's your feeling about it? Yeah. Um, my father has has Parkinson's disease now, and he you know, got it when he was 50. And seeing the toll that that's taken on his life, it's, it's just one more reason for me to do what I'm doing. And Carly, you said you grew up on a dairy farm, mm-hmm. and it turned organic in 1998, mm-hmm. and you're currently interning for butternut valley organics which is a farm stand here that mm-hmm. sells fresh organic eggs and fruits and vegetables mostly um, vegetables just vegetables yeah so right now so butternut valley organics sells fresh eggs and vegetables what was the difference then on your farm before and after the dairy farm that you grew up on went organic uh well for one the cow health and it was amazing. We started, the big deal for us was when we went from being confinement feeding our, our cows and having them indoors most of the time to letting them out on pasture. And that was in 1991. And, you know, seeing the cows, I remember as a child, you know, every spring when we started letting them out, they just, they would run down there. The whole idea of hightailing it, you know, their tails were up in the air and going out and you knew that they were just so excited to, to be out there. Um, so their feet and their legs, I mean, they were just getting more exercise, getting vitamin D from the sun, and it just so much healthier in general. Um, so that was the beginning. And then after we let go of using hormones and things like that, we realized there were other you know, natural methods. Now we use a bull um, to help, and other things like that just made us feel that it's, it was a little... If we were to go back... And, you know, we weren't organic, we would still never do some of the things that we did before because they just seem irrelevant and um, we just don't believe in them anymore. Mm, mm. And where is the farm you grew up on? Um, in Truxton, New York, near Cortland. It's uh, probably like two hours from here, two and a half. And you're now, Carly Arnold, interning on an organic produce farm. Yeah. And do you see yourself becoming a farmer? What What is your interest in farming and 
sustainable agriculture? Right. Um, I don't know if I see myself day in and day out. I mean, it's a huge commitment. It's every day, and it's a long day. Um, but I do see myself being committed to the link between farmer and consumer, whether that means I'm selling at a farmer's market or helping produce them or helping farmers. I, I see myself in there somewhere um, just being part of the change toward a more local food system, a more uh, chemical-free food system. Um, but where I fit in, I'm not quite sure yet. Mm -hmm. And Carly, where are some of the other places then that Butternut Valley Organics goes? You mentioned Roscoe and Calicoon. Mm -hmm. Are there other? Um, not in this area. We also go down to some Westchester markets, uh, Larchmont, Bronxville, Rye, Piermont, mm -hmm. um, and do those as well. So now you come in from upstate New York right. to this farmer's market on Fridays. Do you have any opportunity to find out about the town of Liberty at all or um, even Sullivan County because you spent days here? Right. Uh, a little bit. More so like in Westchester County, I get to, I, I go to Larchmont every week and I'm not, this is only my second time to Liberty, but I've enjoyed like walking around um, when I do have time. And more for me, I guess it's just been the conversation between the customers and myself, you know, and once you develop that rapport, you're like, how was your week? And you have, you know, questions from last week, how, how they like their products or how their vacation was. And that's, that's one of the reasons I think the farmer's markets are so special is that person to person, mm -hmm. you know, connection and conversation that you have. I am Linda Smith and I'm a vendor here. I'm from Franklin, New York, and I sell goat cheese. We always had goats, you know, one becomes two becomes four and eight and then 10. Um, and our kids were all involved in 4-H growing up. So the goats served a purpose. And then we got to a point, we have all this, these goats and all this milk, what do we do? I started making cheese in 93. Um, we were a family operation. What kind of goats do you have? 90% of our goats are all alpines, and that's what we started with. They can come in any color combination but pure white. Uh, so they're, they can be tan, brown, white with black spots, black with white stripes, all different kinds. And they have the upright ears. They milk well. They milk long. By the second or third year that they ki have kids, they usually have three, sometimes four. That's a lot because they're not that big when you think about it. Right. Um, and we like them to milk for nine or ten months out of the year. They always get bred in the fall, and they always have their kids in the spring, anywhere from February till June or July. What is your relationship with your goats? How would you describe it? Oh, they're sweet. I mean, you can get mad at them, of course, but we have, you know, learned over the years to have really good doors with really good gates and hooks that they cannot open. <laughs> we build high so they cannot jump, and um, they're just, you can't help but love them love them. They're easy to take care of, basically. Do you have a personal relationship with them, or does it stay kind of a oh, no. business well, sort no, of no, relationship? No. You all have your favorites. Right. Every year you pick out one that she's just the best. She's beautiful. She milks well. Maybe she doesn't, but you know, you just kind of pick her out. Like I picked out a yearling this year. I just love her. She's yeah. not actually one of our alpines. She's a different breed. She's the ones with the real tiny ears. They're called La Manchas. She's just really, really sweet. And actually, she's very sweet because um, we send a couple kids every year over, uh, goat kids, to the Farmer's Museum in Cooperstown that they keep on their farm for the summer. They're really nice when they come back because they do spoil them. What happens to the goats? Let's just 
broach this subject. When they get old and decrepit, they're like me. They're going to get put out to pasture. Really? (laughs) If they've milked for us and have been Mm -hmm. a good part of the herd, and when they're 9 or 10, usually we don't breed them after they're 10, they get to hang out. They hang out at your farm? Yeah. And how long will they live at that point? Our oldest have been 15. Oh, um, trust me, by the time they're getting that old, they look pretty like your old granny. Wow. <laughs> the old girls get to, to hang out. They get to go to pasture and munch yep. the grass. Scott Daniel Trapani. Trapani Farms. And where are you from? What? Milton, New York. How far is Milton, New York from Liberty? It's about 50 miles. We own about 100 acres of mainly apples, maybe two acres of uh, vegetables. But we farm around 150. We rent some farms nearby just to get the production up. We mainly grow apples. We grow 23 different varieties of apples. 23 varieties? 23 varieties. What are some of those varieties of apples? Um, Our main ones are Red Delicious, Golden Delicious, Empire, Honeycrisp. Mmm. Honeycrisp. That's my favorite apple. They're not in season yet, right? No, no. I wish. That is my favorite apple, the Honeycrisp. Yep. Um, Gala. Gala and Fuji. That's probably the main ones we grow. And where do you mostly sell your apples to? Down the city. Oh, Bronx you, Terminal. Bronx Terminal? Yep. So for supermarkets and yeah. things like that. So you go down there? Yep. And that's where they distribute them out, right? To different yep, markets? Right down there. Do you know what kind of apple production happens in New York State? I know New York's the, the second biggest grower. So New York State is the second largest grower of yeah, apples. Compared as compared to Washington. Washington. Oh, okay. So Washington is number one and New York State is number two for yeah, as far as, apple production. As far as I know, we still are. That's amazing. And you were saying you farm about 150 acres and you grow 23 different kinds of apples. What kinds of apples do you have now? We have um, the first apples that we had were Puritans and now we have Polar Reds. And we're going to be getting into Macintosh and John and Max. And what about the Honey Crisps? Honey Crisps are first first of September. Okay. From the first of September to mid September, depending on weather. And do you form any kinds of relationships with the customers who come here to the Liberty Farmers Market that you see each week, in terms of getting to know faces? Yes, yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I give people deals that people that come in quite often feel it's a, the right thing to do to reward someone that coming out and supporting the farmers because we appreciate it as much as they appreciate the fresh fruit, fresh produce. Scott Trapani, what is your day like then? What is it like to be on an apple farm and working that? What What is a kind of, what does a normal day consist of? I haven't had a normal day lately. Lately, um, because we're building, we're building a new packing facility, a cold storage facility. It's going to be a 6,000 foot, 6,000 square foot facility. So we're constantly doing things to prep that getting the plumbing in lately we've been having problems with getting the plumbing getting the electric in it's just that's been our main focus lately but on the side i'm trying to keep the orchards maintained keep our uh, workers maintained keep everything going for harvest because harvest is right around the corner right so the main harvest is coming up right september october with apples yeah we're we're basically getting right into it right now we've been picking for a couple days now. Has your apple farm been at all influenced by a movement towards using less chemicals and pesticides and by the growth of the organic market? Um, it has been influenced by that. I mean, not on a huge production. We try with the vegetables and some of the smaller stuff to spray as least amount as possible. 
but we also have a, with a new style of planting, we c we can spray every other row with smaller dwarf trees. Okay. Which, in return, puts less uh, pesticide residue on the apples. So you're trying to use less of them. Yeah, we're trying, trying as much as we can. And what is the challenge? Why not go in the direction of not using it's, any? What what is that like? Dave, I mean, we have a chemical advisor, and he uh, he speaks to us, and he says uh, to people are trying organic on small scale, and because of that, they have to put out 17 sulfur sprays, which is just covering apple scab, which as compared to putting out five or six when you're using a fungicide, which really isn't, it's not deadly, it's just killing fungus. And, um, you know, that comes to an economical issue of if you can afford the fuel, putting out 17 tanks on 100 acres, or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it might be, mm -hmm. and that's 17 plus the 17 that you normally do, so you can imagine that's over 100 sprays just for that. How many years does an apple tree produce apples? Well, they take... Um, on average, two to three years after you plant them. They're usually two to three years old when you plant them, and then after that, two to three years to actually start producing. So from the time they're, they're seeded and planted, you won't get a production for five years. Mm -hmm. But you can have production out of trees up until 30 years, 40 years. Well, thank you so much, Scott no, no Trapani problem. from Trapani's Farms, which is mostly an apple farm. Yep. You also, you said you have... So a couple of acres of vegetables that you grow. You have about 150 acres of apple trees and you grow 23 varieties. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power, Roots Underground, Farming, from the album Movement. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artel. Safe travels. I'm Jason Tuga, host of The Mixtape. Every Friday night, it's my goal to bring WJFF listeners great music. Music from all over the world. Stuff that's been lost in the archives and needs to be heard. Classics you already knew you loved. 